1: Our team of trained specialists are available with 24 7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. spreading freedom across the nation, this is
2: The Buck Sexton Show.
3: Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for joining. Great to have you here as always. Quite a day in the news cycle. Quite a day indeed. Um, You have, oh my, uh, you have General Flynn out as national security advisor, he lasted twenty-four days. Um, General Flynn, uh, General Flynn, somehow managed to have the the shortest tenure, I, I think, certainly of any national security advisor in in history, and uh, also I would assume, although I'd have to look at the numbers on this, one of the shorter uh tenures of any cabinet nominee for at least reasons not related to to health i would guess now there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on here i i just first want to establish and i talked about this last night on the show a bit um i first want to establish that uh general flyn is a, a a man who served his country very honorably In the military, um, and there are a lot of people, and and I've been hearing from some of these people too, who say that look, this is somebody who is a a a patriot and is is a guy who understands door kicking and going after the enemy, and should be that should all be kept in mind here. He's not a Washington insider. He's not politically, in the sense of understanding how the game is played, at least politically savvy. And now he's having he's having an an ignominious end to what has actually really been a distinguished career um, that, you know, he's been forced or people are saying that he resigned without the Trump administration asking for his resignation. I I don't know. I don't know if that is true um, he may he may have resigned or he may have uh, stepped aside. Uh, he may have... I'm sorry, he may have been asked to step aside. And that's the sort of discussion, that's the kind of detail you would really only get if you had insight into the absolute upper reaches of the Trump administration. I see people are... Some people are very upset about this. They think that it's really unfair that Mike Flynn is out, but... <laughs> You can't lie to the vice president and the rest of the team about a conversation that became a major news story for a few days when you're already under siege from the press. I I know that there is, and I understand this, I know that there is a sense among many that Trump is getting, the whole Trump team, everybody, and I've been yelling about this for weeks now. Well, I don't really yell that much, but I've been saying Betsy DeVos... Treated completely unfairly, uh, you know. Many others treated unfairly, and uh, the other cabinet nominees. Mnuchin, there were there was a whole story out there. Of, it was true fake news that Mnuchin's firm foreclosed on a widow's house for seventy nine cents. That never happened. So there's a lot of reason to always feel like the the Trump team is getting a really unfair shake. Anybody associated with him, because they they are. But now we have a, a situation where we, are, are we going to? Def- are we in the position where we defend? You defend everything that someone affiliated with Trump does. Are we going to say that there's no such thing as criticizing the Trump administration with, with uh, constructive intent? Do we really think it's okay if the national security advisor? Was going around. and I and I look. I, I tweeted this out. I'm very upfront about the fact that there's a huge double standard here. I, I get that, but we can't allow the fact that there's a double standard to then turn into a we just will have no standards. Uh, the left has already done that, but we can't we can't become what we disdain. That's not the answer here. So there's a there's a lot of moving pieces. A lot of uh, different angles you can take on the whole Flynn situation it seems and, and of course now we're also basing so much of this on not just imperfect information that's you know as an analyst of, of current events and politics you're always you always have imperfect information it's just a question of degree but you might figure you have some level of access you know you might figure that there's um there you know, you you can determine for yourself based on how much information you have what may be missing. And this goes into the Rumsfeldian discussion of known knowns and known unknowns and all the rest of it, right? I mean this is um this is where you have to start to look at what you think isn't there that should be there. But when you have disinformation, now even information that may not be true. I don't know. We we have to base this on reports of journalists who are using anonymous sourcing and as you can imagine, in this kind of situation, you've got so many people with an axe to grind or that view this uh, personally um, or, or view this as an issue of, uh, of personal importance that will affect them one way or another. And they're telling the press what they want the press to know. And they know that they can do this anonymously at unsourced. And this is the way the game inside of D.C. is played. And the moment that you step out of the shadows, the moment that you're no longer a, bureau, a nameless, faceless bureaucrat, and I say that, well, not affectionately, but without judgment, because I was one as well. Uh, the moment that you're in the public eye, whether you want to be or not, if you, you may think you're just serving your country. But you will very quickly find out that you're brought into the information and propaganda warfare that is the daily news cycle. And uh, Flynn, remarkably to me, uh, didn't really recognize this, didn't really seem to understand uh, that the press was going to be coming after him in this way um, and that they would have help from the inside. That's the part of it that I suppose he didn't know. He probably figured, I can say, and by, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little, I, I find it a little annoying. And more than a little annoying. There's some people that are, are all that Flynn is. You know, F- Flynn's getting a, a, a raw deal here. This is unfair. And yeah, what he did wasn't a big deal. But are, are we now going to defend? Do we think that he didn't lie to Vice President Pence about the conversation? That Pence doesn't now look like a fool for going around saying it's Flynn offering his resignation for no reason. Is is that? You know, we we can't get into a place where the discussion all of a sudden is, is bereft of reason and it's just anything, uh, anything that is Trump is is good and must be defended and anything even affiliated with Trump is good and must be defended no matter what it is. I just won't go down that path. I, I do see people that seem to uh, approach it that way. Uh, but I, OK, here's what Flynn didn't recognize. It seems to me, I don't know. I don't know the man. He came on this show once. He was a a gentleman and we had a very nice interview and I I have tremendous respect for his career in service to the military. As a political appointee, let's keep it real, his his career as a political appointee was very short and I don't think we would say it is particularly uh, distinguished either. So, um, here we are. Here we are now. Uh, looking at the first—oh, sorry, I, I got diverted from what I was going to say, which is that Flynn thought uh, that he could just—not stonewall, but that he could move past the issue of this conversation. And I don't think the conversation is a big deal. All the stuff about the Logan Act is crap. Don't The, the Logan Act, if, if it were really enforced as a law— uh, well, Teddy Kennedy is, is, is passed away now, but Teddy Kennedy, Nancy Pelosi, Jimmy Carter, we go through the whole litany, whole list— of Democrats who very blatantly would have been in violation of the Logan Act, so you know you start you start there. Uh, it's it's also a law that not only is it not enforced, I don't think it would survive. I don't think it would survive challenge in a court. I don't think it's constitutional, uh, or it would have to be narrowed very dramatically. And there's no way that a national security advisor saying we're going to have good a soon to be national security advisor talking to a, a an interlocutor about how he's going to be hoping for better relations with Russia. There's no way that that, I mean, if you're going to criminalize that you're going to have to criminalize a lot of things. And what that would also mean is that people who are about to take government posts or are likely to take government posts, if they are expressing a criticism of current us foreign policy and sh- saying that they would be different in X, Y, or Z way and promising to have a different approach, and meeting with anybody in a foreign government capacity and repeating that, they would be in violation of Logan Act. It's just an unenforceable nonsense law. And it comes from a very uh, constitutionally uh, tragic part of our history where you have the Alien and Sedition Act. There were laws explicitly passed that explicitly passed for the purpose of silencing dissent. And for bringing people to heel who opposed U.S. policy, U.S. foreign policy, essentially, g- truly gutted the First Amendment. So it comes from that period of time, uh, 1799. The Alien Sedition Acts were what, 1801 or 1802? Uh, there were, you know, free speech didn't last too long in this country before the Congress was passing laws that, more or less, truncated free speech entirely. I mean, if you can't speak out about U.S. foreign policy as a U.S. citizen, how do you how do you have free speech? Anyway, so the Flynn conversation with Russia is not the problem. I know some people are saying, "Oh, it's a violation of the Logan Act," but that's it's this is reminds me of the the Hatch Act where you always had Democrats who were claiming that um, you had Democrats who were claiming that the Hatch Act was uh, something that was being violated, and it was only when Republicans did it. And the Hatch Act can be interpreted very broadly too. It's anybody. It's you know using if you're in government position and you're favoring one political party or using anything that's government affiliated to favor one political side. And these are the same people that would that would all snicker to themselves and, and openly at meetings, including meetings at Langley, about how stupid Bush was and he's a moron. And his policy's the worst. And you know he, he it would have been so much better if Al Gore had been president. You know, but that's not a Hatch Act violation. You know, because the left has no principles, they have a lot of leeway to do whatever they want and say whatever they want. And they, it's always a moving target with them. You don't know how it's really going to be dealt with. Um, but Flynn, the phone call was not the problem. It was not the crime is in the Logan Act violation, although I don't even think it is a crime and I don't think it should be a crime. But it's the cover up here. The lying depends. I know there are some who disagree with this and they're going to say, well, this proves that his ties to Russia were even deeper and even worse than we. I haven't seen any evidence of that. Maybe there will be. But as you know, without me telling you, but just for the purposes of bringing us all into the conversation and getting on the same page here, the politics are toxic now around the entire administration for the press and the way that the media is going to cover this, this is just uh, this is the first this is the first media scalp that they've been able to take this is the first drop of blood in the water I mean pick your pick your metaphor pick your analogy they are going to be so emboldened now and I bet they think that there are more administration that there are more cabinet officials forget about fighting just the confirmation battle they're going to hope to to dig stuff up and and drum more Trump cabinet nominees out of office. They see this as a tremendous success. They see this as absolutely uh, something to celebrate. They got rid of General Flynn. I don't think Flynn's. I don't think Flynn's a bad guy. I respect his service to the military tremendously. Uh, I don't believe that he was compromised or compromisable in the sense of blackmail, which the DOJ itself was saying at the time. You had uh, Sally Yates, she of, I won't, I'm acting attorney general, but I won't enforce the government's executive order, or I, w- I will tell the DOJ not to defend the, the government, the executive branch, executive order, fame. That's Remember, She's she had a moment there. She was going around uh, to the White House, the Obama White House, saying that she was afraid that, Flynn would be blackmailed based on this information. Either the, the Russians are going to blackmail him over this? I, I would doubt that. I, 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 if, they, if they tried to blackmail him, I would assume that he would say, look, you can tell people and I'll step down. The, the Trump team could have taken a different tactic. I wasn't sure. I said last night on Buck Sexton with America Now, I thought it was 50-50 he was going to go. And I saw that Washington Post piece in the blackmail. I, I still didn't think he was necessarily – I thought it was possible – Maybe I was a little surprised, but it was it was a close call for me. It was It could have gone either way, and as we know now, he's resigned. But this just goes to show you that what uh, what Flynn couldn't have foreseen was that the media would be acting, and this now brings you back to what I was a point I was trying to make before, the media would be acting in concert with the deep state, in concert with the bureaucracy, that people with access to classified inside the government, would act as partisans, and they did leak this to the media. Keep that in mind. This was not just an internal matter for those with clearances. This was leaked by either someone in the DOJ, the intelligence community, the White House. They leaked classified to their favorite papers to get this out there, to turn the heat up, and now we're being told, oh, it was all handled as a matter of national security, and that's what, this wasn't This wasn't political score settling. Please. Of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, and Flynn fell into a trap here. And I suppose we will um, be moving on from there. But I just, I think it will get better for the administration. Flynn was a, a lightning rod for criticism and was very polarizing. Uh, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Look at Mattis at defense. No, one's, no one was saying Mattis wasn't up to the job or Mattis was uh, a problem for Russia ties or any number of things. Flynn was already getting a lot of heat before this happened, and this just made it worse, and now he's stepped down. Uh, I th- I still believe that this guy is a patriot and a good man, and I'm sorry that he got jammed up in all of this. Did he have to go? I don't know. But this was not handled well. Uh, it was not handled well, and, man, all of the worst elements in the media now are, they're throwing little parties, maybe even literal parties. I did see on, on uh, social media last night that some people were saying that there were cheers at, at Langley, but I mean, Langley is a pretty quiet place at eight or nine o'clock at night. I can tell you that there's still some people there, but not a lot. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll have more on this. I've got some guests joining to add their perspective in Colorado because this isn't the political, uh, debate that this will unleash, or I should say the political forces this will unleash are the real heart of the story. Um, they'll find somebody who's a committed patriot to take Flynn's post and the white house will move on. But there, This Russia story is not going to anytime any soon. Uh, 888-900-3393-TEAM. We'll be back right after this break.
2: Buck Sexton.
0: The Blaze Radio Network.
3: Well, According to Bloomberg here, Russian lawmakers have reacted with dismay and anger to the resignation of U.S. National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, who is widely seen as an ally in the White House, um, calling it a sign that Donald Trump's administration is falling victim to paranoia toward the Kremlin. I'm very curious to see. I've I've heard a lot about the Russia contacts here. Um, I've heard a lot about them, and I haven't yet seen other the, the RT thing, which I've talked to you about. Uh, that's that's a bit troubling. Um, just it's just that's bad. judge that's not. I, I, that doesn't mean that um, you're going to be selling out your country or some sort of uh, Manchurian candidate towards this stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, the. The reality here is that they're going to dig and dig and dig on this Russia stuff. I mean, CNN just a couple of days ago had that parts of the Trump dossier, parts of it, have now been confirmed based on unidentified sources from within the intelligence community. And I, I've really, you know, I, I've got to ask the questions here where are these Russia connect? There's Russia sympathy or a Russia disposition that is too positive. I understand that. And then there is uh, being able to be compromised by Russia and being in Russia's pocket. Those are not the same things. I mean, Obama had Cuba sympathy that was beyond what I think is is normal or wise. Uh, Obama had Iran sympathy beyond what I think is normal or wise. Uh, But... I, mean, I'm not run, I wouldn't run around and say that, well, certainly the press wasn't running around and saying that Obama is, is in the pocket of U.S. enemies around the world. I mean, some of us maybe did point that out, but generally speaking, the press wasn't making that case. So I'm just wondering, we keep hearing about this the Russia connection, and I understand Manafort resigned, and that looked weird. Manafort from the campaign, you'll recall, not really talked about that much now. But he had some shady dealings in Ukraine, thought were interesting. And, you know, we'll just have to see. We will have to see uh, what goes on uh, from here with all of this. And, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk to you about, too. I promise we will get to that as well. The phone lines are open, 888-900-3393.
2: The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
4: Dispensing
0: the
4: truth. This is Buck
0: Sexton.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network. Our team, we're very pleased to be joined by Ian Tuttle. He is the Thomas Rhodes Fellow at the National Review Institute. He is at IPTuttle on Twitter. Ian, great to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, first, just what is your reaction, and uh, and take all the time you want with this one, to the whole Flynn kerfuffle? <laughs>
5: Uh, well, I think we'll need to wait to uh, see how some of it plays out, but I think we can we can draw a couple uh, conclusions. Uh, one is this is uh, indicative of a mess within the White House, that there's just a lot of uh, chaos and confusion uh, that's being sort of sorted out on the fly, and that's not um, a good sign. Uh, secondly, um, this indicates that there's... Uh, still a power struggle, um, you know. If uh, if it's if if it's the case that Flynn is out because uh, Mike Pence wanted him out, then that suggests that sort of the Pence Priebus um, side of the the White House power struggle um, may have gained a little bit uh, over the Bannon Miller uh, side. Um, obviously, Flynn was a, a sort of Bannon favorite. Um, thirdly, this seems to be. Um, part of an ongoing tussle between the White House and the intelligence community. Um, and that, I think, is sort of the, the deep um, the deep story here that's going to be developing over a long period of time. Is there's real antagonism uh, within the in- intelligence community, and, or, and to a certain extent within the sort of um, held-over uh, bureaucracy, uh, you know, a lot of Obama folks, that sort of thing, that are still holdovers uh, from the previous administration toward Trump. Um, and that's something that the next uh, national security advisor is going to have to get in hand, um, because you just can't have uh, the intelligence community and the White House at uh, at war for any sustained period of time.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's the uh, the American deep state. It, fascinating here in in a sense that it worked in concert with the media. One thing that I feel like hasn't gotten nearly enough attention, at least so far, is that. Flynn had enemies on both sides. He had enemies inside and outside. He had enemies inside the DOJ and the intelligence community, who were not just uh, pointing fingers at him based on the the conversation. Is actually, uh, I don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> everyone, everyone keeps talking about the Logan Act. When you're citing a law that no one's ever been prosecuted under, that's that's usually not a, and it's been around for two hundred years. That's usually not a uh, indicative of a particularly strong argument. Uh, but. That, that he lied about it and they said that he could be blackmailed I also don't think that's particularly strong I think the problem comes with all the, the media pressure and the way it looks bad that he, li- that he may have been untruthful or lied to the vice president who then went out and defended him on this one I mean that, that seems to me to be where the problem is and so he was dealing with both the media narrative and leaks from inside the government at the same time and it was just too much
5: yeah, I think I think there's a lot to that. I mean, look, uh, even Washington under Trump is is still Washington, right? When you're friendless, you're out. Um and it seems like uh Michael Flynn managed to uh, alienate uh almost all of the the friends he had, and if he had had anyone on his side, he probably would have um, been able to to stick around. Uh one other thing that's sort of interesting about um, all of this is that there does seem to be an ongoing investigation related to um, the FBI, related to FISA warrants, um, related to Paul Manafort uh, and uh, Roger Stone, um, in, t- in which Michael Flynn has, has sort of become entangled and all of that's going on behind the scenes. Um, and that'll be something to, uh, to keep an eye on uh, as all of this plays out.
3: All right, now tell me about your piece uh, here on nationalreview.com, The Life Cycle of a Sidney Blumenthal Smear. What's this all about?
5: (laughs) Uh, So um, the London Review of Books should have known uh, what it was getting into when it decided to publish uh, anything by Sidney Blumenthal, the the famously uh, deceptive, Uh, uh, Clintonite, Um, but last week uh, the the LRB ran a story called The Short History of the Trump Family by Blumenthal, in which he uh, makes a claim that Donald Trump's father, Fred, uh, was weighing a campaign for New York City mayor in 1969, uh, and as part of the evaluation process, created two test commercials um, in which he basically had... uh, Um, in which which he basically peddled uh, racist themes, right? Um, You know, down and out, uh, down and out, quote unquote, Negroes, um, white people afraid for their safety appearing on camera, this sort of thing. Uh, And then, of course, Blumenthal goes on to say Trump didn't become mayor, um, but he bequeaths his campaign themes to his son, uh, which is a real tidy little little genealogy, uh, except for the fact that it's not true. Uh, and the, the the videos, in fact, <clears throat> were made by a, a video art project last year that uh, creates, quote, found footage from alternate realities. Uh, and, in fact, uh, it seems that Fred Trump uh, never considered a mayoral run at all. Um, of course, Blumenthal being who Blumenthal is, uh, despite the fact that this was fairly readily uh, debunked, I'm sure it will Continue to live on in corners of the internet as part of sort of the uh, the fake uh, mythology of of the the racist Trump family, and I think for Blumenthal that's uh, mission accomplished.
3: You know, I have to say the the fake news that's uh, that's originally was used as a, a rallying cry against uh, Trump's victory. Right? That was it. Was the fake news was what got him elected? Was how it all started, and then people started saying, well, no, actually, there's a lot, a lot of the mainstream media uh, runs with fake news. And it became the, this pointing of fingers and back and forth on, on the, the fake news issue all the time. I have to say that some of the media outlets are so sensitive to it. And to me, it sort of it reminds me of the old uh, schoolyard issue of it really bothers you more when it's true. <laughs> and I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that, because The Washington Post has had major uh, corrections that should have been retractions on stories that were anti-Trump. Uh, A number of other news sources I've mentioned on this show, the Steve Mnuchin, who had his company foreclosed on a widow for her home for 70 for a debt of 79 cents. How anyone could think that that's a thing that happened is beyond me. But that was getting out there. The bust of uh, Martin Luther King out of there. There is some truth to this, isn't there, That, that there are news sources that are supposed to be credible and honest that run with fake stuff as long as it hurts Trump.
5: Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there there are two elements to this. One is the the, the current sort of um, ecosystem of journalism reflects the general polarization of the country. And the fact is that there you know percent of, of journalists are just activists uh, with with internet connections, um, and so you know they're not really writing journalism as much as they're writing um, you know spin. Um, and when as many of them uh, as, as there are just really, really dislike Trump, they're eager to um, take whatever the, the latest story is and paint it in the worst light uh, or interpret it even you know, sort of innocently, interpret it in the worst light. Everything is, everything is Nazism. Everything is the apocalypse, whatever the case might be, uh, and run with it. Um, the second uh, fact is this is um, sort of an, a continuation of journalism by social media. Um, when everything is, is reported, um, not in pieces that have really been fleshed out, sourced, but in tweets, uh, You know, where breaking news is, is posted on, on Twitter instead of on the New York Times uh, homepage um, in a lengthy article, um, then you're liable to have, have people... Uh, for reasons of, of traffic, for reasons of getting the scoop, uh, leap out ahead, uh, ahead of themselves. Uh, so I think they are sort of, you know, one of those is, is really partisan and one of those is sort of a fact of, of media life right now. But together they um, are creating a really uh, toxic situation for anyone who wants to be reasonably um, uh, informed about, about what's, what's actually happening.
3: Yeah, and it seems to me that there is also a a curious tendency for many of these outlets to, when all the mistakes go in the same direction, we we have to take some, uh, we have to take that as a a data point in and of itself, right, when it's always, in this case, anti-Trump in some capacity, and then there's the, the correction whispered later on, it feels very obvious, but I guess the part of this is that at some of the major networks and some of the big newspapers, the pretense of objectivity is really what they think elevates them above, as you put it, all the activists. And so they have to fight, even though they must they must be aware, or maybe they're not, but they should be aware of the activism that is motivating many of their actions under the banner of objective news. They're also very they very clearly understand, that they have to keep up this. At this point, it's really a fig leaf, right? I mean, the New York Times is clearly a liberal Democrat paper. And I, I, I grew up here in New York City. I've been reading New York Times since I was able to read newspapers. Uh, uh, but they, they have to cling to this notion that they're objective. I mean, the same is true at CNN and MSNBC. They're left of center. Uh, how left, we could discuss and, and even debate. But they're definitely left of center. But they have to keep up the pretense, right? Because there's a power in the pretense of objectivity.
5: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and I think it's one of the things that contributes to um, the, the, antagon- the antagonism against them. Um, the New York Times, uh, I know conserv- conservatives will reflexively um, recoil at my saying this, but the New York Times does some very good reporting. The Washington Post does some very good uh, reporting. They have large budgets for investigative uh, journalism, uh, which they use. Um, you know, there's some really valuable stuff that comes out. The New York Times.
3: I love their restaurant a, the, reviews, the New York Times. I mean, they they do have very good writers.
5: <laughs> so. yeah, the, the New York Times is a, is a fine left-wing newspaper. And if they say that, um, then, you know, people can, can come to the Times and say, OK, you know, I'm going to take this journalism knowing what I know about the Times bias and, you know, appreciating that they've sort of put that out that uh, you know they put that out in the open, um, and I can weigh these things uh, judiciously. instead, the Times says no, just this is just the way it is. Um, and everybody knows that's that's nonsense. Um, and so you have all these these writer all the uh, readers and other consumers of news who come to that feeling like they're already um, sort of being being deceived by that pretense.
3: Yeah, and I feel like we could just have a system where people are open about. I mean, I'm very – I love people who's like, oh, you, you talk about the media. So, yeah, I, I identify as a conservative. I identify as a Republican. I tell people who I vote for, and I say that influences all of what I talk about, all of how I think, and I'm upfront about it. I still have to try to be factual and accurate because then you lose credibility no matter who you're talking to. But you look at the way the system is uh, – at least my understanding of it, I haven't lived in the U.K., uh, but – Everyone knows that there are, there are labor papers there, there are Tory papers there, and, and it's out in the open in a way where I feel like it should be here too. But there's still this old pretense of you know the newsman, you know Edward R. Murrow and you know Dan Rather. And no, I just think we need to get we need to get past that.
5: Well, and of course, you know it's it's something of a historical anomaly because you go back and look, and you know uh, papers for a long time were um uh, partisan identified you know you have the the such and such democrat and the such and such uh you know republican and, and occasionally you have papers that still hold have held on to those names um and then you know i think in the um, mid 20th century that sort of turns over and you get this you know sense of um this pretense of of objectivity which you know had a um had its reasons um but again they the uh, the practice uh, is is no longer lining up uh, with the theory, um, and it's encouraging. I think uh, a lot of the antagonism toward the media that um, ultimately is unhealthy because what it, it, it contributes to the the self ghettoizing in terms of news consumption that we we saw was such a big um, factor in this past election.
3: All right, Ian Tuttle, uh, fellow at Nash at the National Review Institute. Follow him, I P Tuttle, T U T T L E on Twitter. Ian, thanks for joining. Great to have you. Thank you. Team Buck, we'll be right back. This is the Buck
1: Sexton Show.
4: The Blaze Radio Network. The
2: Buck Sexton Show. The Grace
3: Radio Network. Oh, man, it's so obvious. Here we go. Democrats demand, what did the president know and when did he know it? Oh, yeah, this is Watergate all over again, everybody. Let's just be very clear about something. What was the outcome of this phone call between Flynn and Russia? That is so probable. Oh, it, it undermined Obama's foreign policy for, for what? For like two weeks? Are, are, are we really? Is that? What we care so it undermined Obama's majestic and wonderful foreign policy for a couple of weeks. A lot of things can undermine the foreign policy of a president. So what was the what was the big takeaway here again? But the New York Times is running with oh they man this is they are so excited they have scored their first breach in the outer wall of the Trump administration. Uh, I got. You know what? I'm. I, I, they're going to go nuts on this all week. But I think that they'll get a new national security advisor in there. They may move away from some of the not especially qualified political appointees in the national security side. They may realize that's not a great move. Maybe not. So we'll see. But. This is—they're going to try to make this hobble the Trump administration. I don't think it will. I think the Trump team will move on from this. But the Russia connection is now—they have their first real hit. You know, you've hit my battleship. Remember that game? They have their first real hit on this. Uh, even though the conversation—I—I I, I really have to reiterate this—is not a big deal to me. I don't see how it's. If I'm wrong on this, please explain to me. I, I don't see the conversation as a big deal. I think the issue here was a lack of trust in Trump's inner circle, and they decided that they were going to have to do something about it, or maybe Flynn, maybe he did decide to resign and just didn't want to put the administration through more of this. Uh, there, There's this assumption now that, and I said, like Bill Kristol tweeted out, that the real, the real problem is the Russia connection here with Flynn. Okay, can someone please show me a troubling Flynn-Russia connection that's unethical and endangers our national security not just that shows not great judgment about things we've got more coming our two
4: the buck sexton show only on the
0: blaze radio network
1: spreading freedom across the nation this is
2: the buck sexton show
3: to the freedom hut we've got our friend sean davis co-founder of the federalist with us now go to the federalist.com for all of his latest sean great to have you thanks for having me buck sean i mean i've been talking about it a lot but it's it's the dominant story of the day and there's a ton of threads that all come together with it and people are very passionate in their opinions on it. I got to get you to tell me what are your main thoughts, takeaways, conclusions, etc. on the whole Flynn fiasco.
4: That's a good question. I think my main takeaway is, uh, as it usually is, how the press is handling this. Because I have a whole bunch of questions about a lot of the accusations that have been going around, how they've been verified, how they've been corroborated. Um, and I have a lot of questions about the motivations behind the people uh, pushing a lot of the leaks. Uh, and then I, I also am concerned about uh, the apparent power that we're giving to a bunch of unelected bureaucrats to just willy-nilly disclose classified information to the press, um, just so long as it's in service of taking out someone they don't like. So to me, the whole Flynn story is not about Flynn. Uh, he's one guy. Um, I honestly don't know enough about him to even have an opinion on him, um, this story is so much bigger than him, and yet nobody in the media is actually asking the questions uh, about why this thing is so important.
3: I, I got I to gotta wonder, I mean, at what point do people start to say, hold on a second, the story, the, 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 what we're supposed to believe that the Obama White House in the very last weeks of the administration was so concerned about this phone call and that Flynn would be blackmailed by the Russians with the phone call that they had to go forth and release the information to the press illegally, I might add, themselves, while also conducting a DOJ review of all of this? I mean, it just, I feel like the the, the partisanship here is mind-blowingly obvious, but now we're all supposed to sit around and say, oh, well, America has averted some national security crisis because Mike Flynn is no longer national security advisor. I just don't buy it.
4: Well, the lesson that I've learned from the past couple months is you can't trust anything. You can't trust the way the press characterizes quotes. They do it dishonestly. They cut the quote in half. Um, they, they attribute it incorrectly. And, and that's with like public statements from people where you can go and watch what they actually said or read an actual quote. Now, that concern is magnified when we're dealing with transcripts of calls that are being characterized by anonymous former Obama administration officials. Now, why on earth would I assume that those characterizations are accurate? Um, So when, you know, Trump is accused of saying something, I go and actually look at the transcripts and look what he said. But interestingly enough, we don't know what these transcripts about these phone calls actually say. Now, they've been bandied about for weeks, if not months. But it's odd to me that an intel community that has them, Uh, In an Intel community that has said they're so devastating and horrifying, won't actually release them. I I would like to read what's on them, because I'll tell you what, I don't think the actual content of them uh, is all that consistent with what we're being told about them.
3: But do you you think that Flynn should... Do you think that it was smart for him to step down? Was it the right thing to do? Did did this... uh, Because I've been saying, for me, uh, looking at this from the outside, and you make an an essential point here, this is all... So much of this is based on unnamed sourcing, uh, the... The amount of information that's out there that claim that must have very direct access for it to be true, but we never get yeah. to know where it comes from. I know journalists, oh, I'm protecting my sources. At some point, I think somebody should come out and say I'm, I'm the one who's putting. You know, especially, if we're talking about what's going on at the upper reaches of the White House. I mean, really, nobody will come out and say that they're the one. Okay, so I so they can just print whatever they want. They're printing stories about how the White House staff can't turn the light, literally can't turn the lights on in the room that. There's disarray that and there's no way to disprove all this stuff. Uh, But when I I look at this, I think to myself and I say, okay, so what exactly then is the benefit to the American people of knowing all of this stuff? I mean, at some point telling us all that the NSC is in disarray, that everything disarray, everything is terrible. It seems to me like there's they're they're going beyond just the facts and really trying to craft a narrative that undermines the executive branch of the united states government that that's what i see happening i, I don't see this as they're just letting us know what's going on day to day right, well because they're not letting us
4: know what's going on let us see the transcripts um and, you know you asked should should he have resigned or should he have been fired i honestly don't know because i don't know the facts and the people writing these stories don't know the facts i would i would love to read what he actually said um and i would love to compare it with his characterizations of what he said to see if they match or see if they don't. I suspect um, that the actual transcripts tell a very different story than what Obama's former intel brass, who spent eight years screwing up everything they touch, have told to the press. And, and you know, if, I, if I'm being honest here, I look at all this and I say, you know what? I don't buy all this, you know, sudden Russian worry uh, from the so-called intelligence community because I saw what happened over the last eight years. I saw Obama make fun of Romney in 2012, uh, for saying Russia was America's number one geopolitical foe. I saw the Obama administration greenlight Russia's purchase of 20% of American uranium reserves uh, in a purchase that just happened to benefit a top dollar, uh, eight-figure Clinton Foundation donor. I don't recall the Russia worry uh, when Russia was breaking ground on new nuclear plants in Iran. And I don't recall any of this Russia worry or these Russia-related leaks uh, from the intel community when Russia was uh, literally selling uranium to Iran. They did nothing when the Obama administration was empowering through the Iran nuclear deal Russia's top buyer uh, in the Middle East. So you'll have, to, you'll have to forgive me for being a little bit skeptical at this sudden worry from the, uh, the intel community that Russia's taking over the world and we're not doing anything to stop it.
3: Shamont, do, do we have the clip of uh, Representative Cummings talking about the, how we need to look into the uh, illicit communications? Can we play that?
2: Play it, please. The Pentagon is in investigating this, and we may hear back from them this week. <laughs> Flynn was secretly communicating with, Republican, with Russian officials at the same time Russia was attacking our democracy. Let me say that again. Flynn was secretly communicating with Russian officials at the same time that Russia was attacking our democracy. Flynn may have violated the Logan Act by discussing the sanctions imposed by the United States in response to Russia's attacks. We have no idea why Flynn was doing all of this and why he was trying desperately to help Russia. And I know he's now... Uh, okay, hold on, stop. Uh, I mean, really, that,
3: that that last statement there is what I really want to focus on. He really just said we have no idea. Uh, this, the the r- reporting right now on we're trying to find out there's an investigation I've been told or I'm going to theorize that Flynn is a Kremlin agent is all over the place. At what point does that become irresponsible? I'm still waiting for someone to explain to me... Why, he was in the, why he's in the pocket of Russia and he's a Kremlin agent of influence, because that's the way this is being not just reported. You've got members of Congress who are insinuating that that's going on, that there needs to be a criminal investigation of this guy. I mean, it's not enough, Sean, to, to get him marched out of office. They want to march him into a prison cell.
4: Oh, it gets better. During that same conference, uh, Elijah Cummings uh, um, quoted a fake tweet from Flynn that the New York Times had erroneously reported as coming from him. It's actually from a a fake account spoofing him. And Cummings, in that same news conference, repeated it. So uh, I find it fascinating that that whole thing from him was fake news. Uh, My goodness, it's a real mystery to figure out why an incoming national security advisor might be talking to other foreign officials prior to coming into his office. Uh, Remember that prior to Obama being inaugurated, he sent an entire team of people to Syria to meet with Bashar Assad. So, it, it, Elijah Cummings is the, the farthest thing from being a reliable narrator in Washington, as I think you can find. This is a guy who spent stone, years stonewalling uh, for Lois Freaking Lerner, uh, the woman who deliberately and personally targeted conservative nonprofits uh, for persecution. So, it, there's a lot going on here, and apparently, unfortunately, America's news media establishment is completely unfit to actually unravel right. what's going on. It's so much bigger than Flynn. It's not really about Russia. It's about you know, whether Trump is going to be able to, as the duly elected American president, institute his own foreign policy vision. Specifically, whether the deep state, uh, a, a collection of unaccountable bureaucrats who have pretty much screwed up everything they've touched over the last 15 years, uh, they don't want him to undo the Iran nuclear deal. It was the centerpiece of Obama's foreign policy. It was the center of gravity. Everything else was pulled into its orbit. And I quite frankly think they're just terrified at the prospect of Trump
3: undoing it. Sean, stay with us for a second here. I just want to play. We've got the briefing, White House briefing right now with Sean Spicer. Uh, Pick up the audio, please, Shamant.
6: Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, labeled the Venezuelan Vice President as a specially designated narcotics trafficker under the Kingpin Act. Uh, Before I continue with the briefing and look forward to your questions, uh, I want to turn it over for a short time. To newly minted Secretary of the Treasury Stephen Mnuchin to take uh, to issue. All a right, you know what? We're going to come back to this because we don't the, the Mnuchin stuff.
3: Minute. Yeah, this is not what everybody's going to want to talk about. Sean Davis of the Federalist is going to stay with us. Uh, actually, Sean, do you mind? Can you stay with this is a break? I'm just I'm, I'm offering you up. Uh, we'll be course, we'll be back on the great Sean Davis of the Federalist. Everybody, we'll be back on the other side. We'll play a little press conference and we'll talk about it. Be right back.
2: Rex Sexton,
0: the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Team, we got Sean Spicer telling us right now why Flynn got fired. We've got Sean Davis of The Federalist with us, but let's go to the audio.
6: Department of Justice notified the White House counsel of the situation. The White House counsel briefed the president and a small group of his senior advisors. The White House counsel reviewed and determined that, that there is not an illegal issue, but rather a trust issue. During this process, it is important to note that the President did not have his Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, who he trusts immensely, approved by the Senate. When the President heard the information as presented by White House counsel, he instinctively thought that General, General Flynn did not do anything wrong, and the White House counsel's review corroborated that. It is not ordinary for an incoming national security advisor to speak with his counterparts about the issues of concern to them. In fact, he spoke with over 30 of his counterparts throughout the transition. As Charles Krauthammer said last night, it is, quote, perfectly reasonable for him to do so. The issue here was that the President got to the point where General Flynn's relationship misleading the Vice President and others, or the possibility that he had forgotten critical details of this important conversation, had created a critical mass and an unsustainable situation. That's why the President decided to ask for his resignation, and he got it. The irony of this entire situation is that the President has been incredibly tough on Russia. He continues to raise the issue of Crimea, which the previous administration had allowed to be seized by Russia. His ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, stood before the UN Security Council on her first day and strongly denounced the Russian occupation of Crimea. As Ambassador Haley said at the time, the, quote, dire situation in eastern Ukraine is one that demands clear and strong condemnation of Russian actions. President Trump has made it very clear that he expects the Russian government to de-escalate violence in the Ukraine and return Crimea. At the same time, he fully expects to and wants to be able to get along with Russia, unlike previous administrations, so that we can solve many problems together facing the world, such as the threat of ISIS and terrorism. The President is currently evaluating a group of very strong candidates that will be considered to fill the National Security Advisor position permanently and is confident in the ability of General Kellogg, a decorated and distinguished veteran of the United States Army, until that person is ultimately chosen. Before I get into the president's schedule for today, a quick recap of the president's activity over the last few days, since we haven't had the honor of sharing so much time together. The president's been keeping a close eye on the Orville Dam situation in California. Okay, all right, we can go. Sean,
3: Before- what, do you, what do you think? So it looks like we've been told now officially that Flynn's resignation was asked for. It is a trust issue, they say, not a Russia connection issue, blackmail issue, or criminal issue. Your thoughts, sir?
4: So, uh, before all this happened, there were basically kind of three different types of problems that Flynn presented to the White House. So one would be the legal problem. Did he do something illegal? Did he do something wrong that he was going to get the whole administration trouble for? The, the second issue is the political one. Is he creating a big political distraction, regardless of what he said or did or its propriety? Uh, and the distraction is so much that he just can't hang around anymore. And then the third one would be the reason that they uh, that Spicer cited was an internal trust thing. They didn't think he'd been totally forthcoming. Therefore, trust had been broken. He needed to go. Uh, that's hard for us to comment on. Uh, we don't know what the relationship was like between – uh, Trump and Kelly or Trump and anyone else on the staff um, but it but if at any point a, a person feels as so, though he can't trust his advisors then they have to go regardless of whether uh, the other two issues are salient or not
3: and so this this all lines up what's with Elijah Cummings and others who are making it sound like uh, you know they want to restart the Cold War and and hold all these committee and commission hearings over Russian penetration of the United States government I I'm I'm still waiting for that everyone talks about that I never see that what I see here is Flynn made the vice president look stupid vice president and his team are like this guy can't be trusted we want him out and Trump is like you're out I I, I still don't see why this is an issue of uh and by the way I also don't buy it all the the blackmail aspect of this as I said this comes from Sally Yates, who is clearly a partisan, wouldn't enforce the executive order under the Trump administration. And she went to the White House and said, oh, we're worried he's going to be blackmailed. You don't blackmail somebody by saying, but the the Russians are not going to blackmail you by saying, well, if you don't do our bidding, we're going to tell the world that you may have violated the Logan Act. I don't think so.
4: Yeah, I don't think Elijah Cummings is a a reliable narrator. And I certainly don't think Sally Yates at Deputy AG is a reliable narrator, nor is she a a magical expert on counter espionage. It's just so uh, uh, incredible to actually believe that. But it's pretty simple to understand what the Democrats are doing. They are waging an all-out war against Trump in an effort to delegitimize him and uh, soften him up in 2018 and then take him out in 2020. That that is 100% what this is. It is purely political. They found, after the the WikiLeaks stuff and the hacking of Podesta or the phishing of Podesta, an explanation for why Trump won. Because remember, they can't accept that Hillary just lost because she was a crappy candidate who ran a crappy campaign. No, there has to be some nefarious reason. So the whole Russian thing is actually gives them everything they want. It gives them an explanation for why they lost and why Trump beat them so soundly. And it gives them a path forward, something to smack them around with uh, until he finally cries uncle or loses. So it's perfect for them. They're not going to stop. They're certainly not going to stop peddling fake news. In fact, today was the confluence of, like, everything awful that's been happening in the media-Democrat sphere over the last couple months. We we have fear-mongering lies, fake news, and blatant political pandering all in one story. It's perfect.
3: I do have to say that the notion that they would replace, uh, that they would re- re- replace Flynn with Petraeus... I have a the White House allegedly or reportedly, I should say, either one says that he's under consideration for that. That is not a good idea. Do, do, do they really need to be told this? I mean, I'm not going to say everything the administration does is is a function of the media's false narrative. You don't take a guy that barely avoided felony charges for intentionally, repeatedly, mishandling classified because of a mistress when he's CIA director and bring him in as national security advisor. There are lots of people who can do that job. We don't have to bring a guy who would actually have to tell his probation officer about this into the fray. What is going on there? Uh, i <laughs> That's a great point. That actually worries me.
4: The, the fact that he's even, even in consideration worries me so much more than all the uh, kerfuffle over Flynn. I mean, ha- how you can run a campaign for a year smacking Hillary um, for illegally and lawlessly and carelessly and negligently handling classified information and then hire a guy who is still on probation for mishandling classified information to be your top national security advisor? Uh, 'm I'm, I'm kind of speechless. I, I don't know what is happening inside that uh, bubble that makes people think that's a good idea. You know, he may be a brilliant guy. Um, he, he had a very impressive career in the military, but he, no, you you can't give him that job based on, what he did yeah, you just I, can't do it, with you. it. You, you can't
3: give it the only way this gets worse for the trump administration is if they put petraeus in the national security advisor role then the, then this does not improve sean davis is the co-founder of the federalist go to thefederalist.com sean our buddy thank you very much for spending some extra time with us we appreciate it oh all right sean thank you team we'll be right back
2: the buck sexton show on the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) The Buck Sexton Show.
3: Uh, team, we've got our friend Carl Higby on the line. He's a former Navy SEAL and was a spokesman for Great America PAC. He also is a Fox News and CNN commentator. But Carl, uh, we're going to also go right to the press conference and have her react. Let's pick it up. It's in progress. Talk go. talked
6: issues that were important, whether it's that or the 30 other countries that he spoke to. That was part of his job. As has been noted by many people, that's what the national security Advisor and frankly other positions do. They begin the process of preparing their j- incoming job by talking to counterparts, people who have previously held the job, etc. If he had not done that, there would be questions as to whether he was properly prepared Speaking on day one. Conversation about safety. no. He, the, the, the issue isn't whether or not what he discussed. There's been a complete legal review of that, and there's no issue with that. The issue is whether or not he failed to properly inform the vice president or not be honest with them. Or not remember it. But that's the plain and simple issue. And when he lost trust with the president, that's when the president asked for and received his resignation.
1: Uh, Thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, Yesterday, Kellyanne Conway, a counselor to the president, uh, said that the president continued to have trust in General Flynn.
6: What happened between yesterday morning and yesterday evening that led the President to
1: lose confidence in General Flynn?
6: Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of what where the President's thinking was, but I will just say, as I noted in the opening statement, that it was an evolving and eroding process. And so, at the end of the day, the President made a decision, as he does on all subjects, and and asked for and received the National Security Advisors. Um, but he is one of those people that we've noted before, when he's ready to make a decision, he makes it, whether it's hiring somebody, or asking for someone's resignation once he is determined uh, that he has made a decision on any subject that's when he informs the staff so going into the day it was an evolving situation he made a determination late in the day and he executed on it yeah Alexis all right let's get
3: uh, let's get Carl in here for for, for a bit Carl uh, you you've I'm sure been watching all this very closely I know you um, are, are tied in and I know people involved in in the administration What happened here with Flynn? I mean, give us—you know—you're somebody who supports Donald Trump as much as anyone I know. What happened?
0: Well, you know, and it's it's a real tragedy what happened to General Flynn because I, I think he's he's a victim of this onslaught of being, you know, the Trump campaign in the crosshairs. And to be honest, like you can see, there's a there's a very large internal rift right now between the establishment politicos and the Trump loyalists and people who believe in Donald Trump are being undermined by people that believe in a political system in D.C., and I think Flynn is the first victim
1: of that.
3: Now, the the statements made by Spicer, and including before before you came on and joined us here, include that this is only about trust within the administration's inner circle. It's not about any legal issues or legal jeopardy for Flynn. That was my impression before they went on air and said that. uh, And I just wanted to ask you, at at that level, I mean... It, it's it's maybe unfair that Flynn was put in this position and I think it is unfair legally speaking because there were illegal leaks to the press in order to get us to this point but that's the way the game is played in DC and I think that's what you're alluding to with the DC machinery that all said it can be put at Flynn's feet that he wasn't honest with the vice president if in fact that's what happened and that's what the White House is saying right he does have to own that
0: yeah and, and you know like as much of a defender as, as I am of Flynn and I you know I generally believe him I trust him but this that is the that is the number one issue and whether he intentionally misled or unintentionally it is it, it is a major issue.
3: Okay, so you you buy into that it was a trust issue. Uh, you know this administration well. Uh, you know people that are in the national security side of it uh, making decisions. Your name, as you know, has been floated out there as a possible replacement for Spicer. I know you've said that that's not, but that's what people are saying, uh, or that's what has been said recently. So where, where do they go from here? Uh, do you think that they dust themselves off and, and, and march on, re- replace the National Security Advisor, and you know, next week we're back on the agenda? What happens?
0: Well, I tell you, this is, this is another undermining of the administration. The, the, the leak for me taking Spicer's job was unbeknownst to me until the reporter called me. So this, the reporter who called me actually knew far more than I did, but she also knew about internal conversations that have been just simply conversations that you know, I, I thought were, were completely private. So you know, this, this is, again, the undermining. Now, if, if I was Donald Trump, if I was advising Donald Trump, you know, he's lost Flynn, Flynn is, is a, a good American patriot, 30 year plus military service. I would use this opportunity to hit the reset button. Get rid of the people who are undermining your agenda. Keep the people who are gonna be loyal and believe in your agenda. People who genuinely believe can defend it and execute it far better. And, you know, the left is going crazy. Oh, you know, loyal to Trump over the Constitution? No. Trump is loyal to the Constitution. So, therefore, loyal to Trump will embrace the Constitution. This is a chance where he can really make some big changes and get this thing on the right direction. He's also dealing with you know almost record lows of people confirmed at this point in his presidency.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean the, the obstructionism from the Democrats is funny because for years, when the Republicans were in the were in the well, were in the minority, except in the House, we heard constantly about how there was obstruction, and Obama used that as a justification for the expansion of his executive powers into places where the courts had to rightfully, as opposed to what we've seen recently, uh, smack down some of his actions. Uh, I, I just wonder now, you know, okay, so we, we understand that. Uh, that this is a continuing issue but what is how does the trump team come back from this and what's the next what are the next moves
0: I mean the next moves are, have got to be strong decisive action on the issues that are most pressing i mean like you have north korea you have iran coming up you have i mean you have a lot of these issues one thing that the left is hammering too is this notion that we have some sort of relationship with russia why is it bad to have a relationship with russia i i i really can't understand it like if if it's if it's detrimental to the united states i understand why it's bad but if it's a relationship with Russia for the betterment of both nations, why is that a bad thing?
3: Uh, I, I think that you, you have to have a—Russia is not North Korea. You, you can't just have an international coalition to box it in and treat it like it's right. not a nation-state. That's never going to work. That's not a good idea. It's not going to happen. So I, I, I don't really know what—and especially after eight years of an Obama administration that was so pliant in its dealings with any number of foreign entities— uh, why is it that now all of a sudden we're supposed to be hawkish like we're back in the middle of the Cold War and and Russia's moving nukes to Cuba? I mean that's or the Soviets are moving nukes to Cuba. That's yeah. the way that this is talked about now from Democrats who for eight years were like, Well, you know, sanctions maybe, multilateralism, open hand, Obama will have more flexibility after the election. It just seems very disingenuous to me.
0: I mean, incredibly, and, and considering that Obama was praised when running against Romney about when he said, hey, Romney, the, the, uh, the Cold War call, they want their foreign policy back. And it's like, you know, this is completely a flip-flop from what it was now. Look, I advocate for a relationship with Russia just on our terms, not on their terms, not only to help them, but on our terms. Now, Donald Trump, means, if he wants to start changing this narrative now, he can do some big stuff. He can start making a con- – I mean, they've drawn the line. On the uh, on the North Korean on the on the, Russia, on the miss- recent missile launch, they've drawn the line on a lot of things. they need to start acting on the next time North Korea launches a missile, shoot it down. That'll change the news cycle.
3: What do you think about the possible replacements for Flynn? Uh, you former Navy SEAL, you know the national security side of this, and you know some of the people, I, or at least I assume have, have served in a capacity where you've heard of and have friends who have a professional familiarity with some of those, including Petraeus, who are up for. Possibly replacing Flynn? Do you have a pick in mind, or where are you on all that?
0: Uh, you know, I I, I like Kellogg. Uh, I, I've dealt with him on a very small level. Um, I trust him. I, you know, from what I know of him, he is a very honorable guy. He's got the, the military background to back it up. And the, you know, I know Petraeus's name has floated out there. You think there was controversy and crosshairs on Flynn? Jesus, I mean. Yeah, uh, you know,
3: betrayus is a terrible. Attack. It's a terrible idea. I keep, I'm like, why do people keep saying yeah. this? And they say, oh, his honorable service. I'm like, look, I, I get that, but it's a terrible idea. Yeah, exactly.
0: He had a, a ton of honorable service, but he did have a, a glitch in classified handling. I mean, like this would be an, another, another nightmare. So I, he needs to get off the uh, off the deck. I know there's a, a fellow seal up for it. I don't know a lot about him. I do know that he is a fairly straight shooter, from what I understand. So, I mean, but I, I do know that Kellogg has been there. and He's been there for, you know, throughout a duration of, of what's been going on. I think, I mean, keep him in there. Get the machine going with him at the helm.
3: Do you think that the White House is is rattled right now? There's so many stories. And, you know, it's it's hard because you, you read enough news stories about how the White House is in disarray and the team is, there's infighting and there's faction, uh, factions fighting each other and there's all this stuff going on. You know, you read enough of that, Carl, and it starts to seep into your perception because, look, I'm up here in New York City. I'm not at the White House. I'm not in the, the, the press pool covering the West Wing. And so all I can do is base my analysis and assessments, of what's going on, on people like you, I know, who have connections into the administration and people that I know who are working in the government to some extent. But also a lot of these reports, you read them and you be- it begins to color your thinking. What do you make of all this? The White House is is in the midst of a... Uh, of a of a catastrophe i mean the white house is they, they can't get anything going straight the communication's terrible and everyone's really freaked out especially the nsc yeah.
0: yeah i mean the thing is that we got we we got to start we got to send a clear message to the media right now too media if you put single-handed pressure like they did on Flynn and things like this do not get accustomed to this do not think that the administration is going to just keep buckling and firing and removing people absolutely not and what i think they need to understand very clearly is Flynn stepped down because he felt that he was more of a distraction than an, uh, than an addition. So he stepped down. He, like a true military hero, he fell on his sword, all right? He said, I'm, I'm going to take this one on the chin. I'm going to step down. I made a mistake and, and let, them, let the train move on. And th- the problem is there's a lot of politicos in the administration right now that are going to put their career in front of this country. And those are the people we got to weed out.
3: How do we do that? I mean, people have pointed out, and I've been saying, too, that the bureaucratic deep state is infiltrated with progressive partisans who do put a political agenda above their uh, above their mission, I mean, above what they're supposed to do at their home agency or wherever they are in the government, above justice at their DOJ. But is it really possible to root them out? I, I, I wonder. Yeah. You know, I had an interesting conversation this morning where someone said that, you know, Trump is is
0: fighting a conventional system and he needs to just get on board and work with it. And I said, no, this is what the people voted against. They voted against the conventional system because it's failing. And the problem is not Trump not getting along with the conventional system. It's the conventional system not getting along with Trump because the American people electorally overwhelmingly Put him in office to change the system and and the 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 bureaucrats that have not yet been weeded out because we we call them weebies we be here when you come we be here when you go which are just the bureaucrats that sit there and collect a paycheck and perpetuate their own existence in government are just slow rolling and undermining this at every chance they get
3: carl higby is a former navy seal and uh, Fox News and CNN commentator uh, Carl, anywhere you want to direct people to go for either your writings or things you're up to?
0: Uh, all I can say is just get out there and support uh, support my man Donald Trump. The conventional media perception right now is not how it's actually going.
3: All right, Carl Higby, thank you for your service, sir. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Buck. And team, we'll be right back.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show
2: on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: The Buck Sexton
3: Show. Oh my! Do we? Uh, I, I guess. Do, do we still have the uh, the press conference going on? We'll just pick it up for a second. It, it's it's rowdy down there. I've been watching it in the breaks too. It's it's feisty. Do we have it, Shaman? Um, yeah. Put it up for a sec.
1: Killer. He said, "Well, you know, America is, it hasn't been that much better." In this I regard. think it's a- also. A- I- I- to me, it seems, and I think to a lot of Americans, it seems that this President has not been tough on Russia. How can you say that? Because I, I, I
6: just walked through. I think there's a difference between the President wanting to have an, an understanding of how a, a good relationship with Russia can help us defeat ISIS and terrorism throughout the world. Look, the Obama administration tried to have a reset with Russia. They failed. They tried to tell Russia not to invade Crimea. They failed. This President understands that it's in America's national and economic interest to have a healthy relationship. If he has a great relationship with Putin and Russia, great. If he doesn't, then he'll continue on. But he's not going to just assume that because it wasn't able to happen in the past. I think you've seen with Prime Minister Abe in particular, and others, that the, the reset that President Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu has talked about tomorrow. So many of these countries from around the globe, are looking forward to resetting the relationships that this country has with them, that they feel as though that they were abandoned over the last eight years, and that they are excited about the prospect of a new <laughs> U.S. relationship under a Trump administration. So, But with respect to Russia, I think the, the the comments that Ambassador Haley made at the U.N. were extremely forceful and very clear that no, until they Ambassador leave. Haley, I, not the President. She speaks for the President. <laughs> I speak for the President. All of us in this administration, and so all of the actions and all of the words in this administration are behalf and at the direction of this president. So I don't think we could be any clearer um, on the president's quick, commitment. Quick,
1: Katie Pavlovich. Just a quick little follow up because I didn't have any follow ups uh, really? or questions in a while. But anyway, uh, no, uh, the other question is uh, just getting back to uh, what uh, was asked a few moments ago about trust and being misled. Are you saying that the national security advisor was intentionally? Misleading the president, the vice president, yourself, when he made these comments to no, I, look. I, about I, that I, 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 the trust is
6: is given by the president. It's a relationship between he and, and any individual. Um, and so, as I mentioned in the comments, maybe it was because I don't know that it was intentional. He may have just forgotten. But I think at some point, trust yeah, isn't just I a, a, a trust. Thing,
3: forget uh, the no, no, conversation. I, I, he but he but that's the point,
6: stuff. Jim. Yeah. Is that at some point that trust eroded um, to a point where the president did not feel comfortable. Uh, with him serving in that position and asked for and received his resignation. Katie Pavlich. On, on the trust issue and eroding of trust. last night in uh, General Flynn's resignation letter, Katie Pavlich getting a question. Hey, and Katie. Vice President-elect ...and others with incomplete information. Right. Considering his role in advising the President on national security matters, is the White House concerned that he may be briefed the President-elect, Vice President-elect with incomplete information? on other matters of national security in addition to his phone calls with the Russian ambassador. When you look at the team, um, it's not one person in isolation, Katie, it's several. You've got, you know, General Kelly on the Homeland Security front, General Mattis on the DOD front. Uh, he's got an entire team. National there's a lot of stuff. Right, we got to cut it there. There's Apple.
3: a lot of stuff I didn't get to today on the show. I'm sorry. Tonight, 6 to 9 Eastern American Now Radio.com, we're going to talk immigration about uh, another executive order, court decision. I got a ton of stuff. So all the spillover will go up into tonight. Go to AmericanRadio.com and I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, my friends, or until tonight, Shield Tie.
0: You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.